One day, uh, some of John's uh, disciples uh, came to Jesus and asked about the practice of uh, fasting and why it was that his disciples didn't fast when the, when the Pharisees fasted. And, and that was just an interesting discussion point. But in that context, Jesus uh, ends up sharing three quick analogies. And uh, the one analogy is the bridegroom and you know the, the wedding party doesn't mourn the bridegroom's return. That's kind of weird. Must be that. Uh, then he mentions the uh, the patch that he's sewn on the new the new fabric that hasn't shrunk yet. You sewed into an old garment, and then that's that's bad. And, um, and then he brings the whole wineskin analogy. That one's familiar to you, right? The whole wineskin analogy. Let me read that real quickly to you. It says, "Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed." But new wine is put into fresh wine skins, and so both are preserved. It seems to me that Jesus is talking there uh, about his followers in contrast to the Pharisees, because that's what the question was. And he seems to be saying that the new wine, which would be the kingdom of Christ, the, the, the gospel kingdom, the church, that that will not easily be pressed into old forms. Old forms, for instance, within the Pharisee of Judaism. Now, fast forward a little bit. Fast forward to uh, where we're at. Christ has been already delivered over to death by his people. He's been raised from the dead, ascended on the high. He's given instructions to his people to go and to proclaim the kingdom, beginning in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And now, what we have as we come into this book of Acts here is we have the return of Paul of, of, of Tarsus, um, the, the, the apostle to the Gentiles, coming back to Jerusalem. He's returned. It's the end of his third missionary journey. He comes bearing that, that fruit that we talked about. He brings an offering uh, from the Gentile churches, largely Gentile churches. He brings this entourage of men who are with him who are part of the first fruits of what he's done. Recall from last time that Paul, uh, when he got there, was asked to pay the, uh, the, uh, the cost of the temple for four men who had been under a vow. He's going to pay for the cost of their sacrifices for the purification ritual. This is all happening. I know I'm getting, I'm getting a lot of bits and pieces, but we're going to, we're going to bring it all together. But uh, uh, this is happening about 12 years or so before the fall of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple. James. The brother of the Lord, um, the leader of the church, asked Paul to do this so that people's minds will put before their ease. In effect, it's kind of like a band aid. It's kind of like a, a, like a patch. It's kind of saying, we, we, we want to get along, we want there to be peace, so we want you to conform to that outward form of Judaism to put everyone's mind at ease. What's happening here, though, is we are really reaching a crisis. We are reaching a, a crisis point in the whole history of God's people. Can the Christian community, this new entity, this, this new people of, of God, which is a mix of, of, of Jewish believers and, and Gentile believers, can that meld seamlessly into the old form of, of Second Temple Judaism, of Pharisaic Judaism? Can we just make that all kind of, and I think that's kind of what James is trying to sort of accommodate there. He's, he's in effect kind of saying, let's just sow this, this new patch. You know, you're bringing all this stuff, and it's great. We love it. And good, good on you. Good on you, Paul. But let's see if we can kind of seamlessly weave that into the fabric 
of what has been happening here in Jerusalem for hundreds and hundreds of years. And see, we can make the two fit together. And it, we know historically this is not going to work. That the union of, of that church and the New Testament people of God fitting into that old model of the temple worship is not going to work. Notice in, in the text the two concepts keep coming forward. One is the word temple, and the other is Gentiles or Greeks. And uh, and so we can see that that really is the is the hub of what the text is about. I almost thought about, and I've never done this. I've almost thought, I almost thought about just just teaching the passage rather than trying to preach it, rather than trying to make applications. Because in one sense, this is such an historical moment, so irrepeatable. None of us are being called to go and do likewise. None of us are possible to the Gentiles. None of us are being called to try to bridge some gap between the New Testament people of God and God's Old Testament people, the Jews in their in their city, in, in their temple area, right? Yes? Is that obvious? We're not doing that. But I do think that there are applications for us that we can see today because we, though we're not bringing it in that same context, we are bringing the gospel and it has similar kinds of reactions. Proclaiming Christ's kingdom is volatile. Proclaiming Christ's kingdom is volatile. And that's what we're doing. We are engaged in something which should be effervescent it should be uh, kind of like new wine in old wineskins. It's kind of an explosive thing. Um, how many of you ever put uh, new wine in old wineskins? Anyone in here ever do that? Yeah, we don't really use wineskins much. Some of you are making wine in your spare time. I just know it. But, um, but none of you are putting it in. How about Mentos and Diet Coke? Let's, let's uh, update the analogy. How many of you have done Mentos and Diet Coke? Yeah. Who was the first person that thought of this idea? I just... It had to be like a, a, a one of those college seniors that's on a five-year, four-year-five-year plan. Sitting around going, "Oh, my two favorite things, Mentos. I wonder if they would go together." And you know, you know, the result is it's volatile. It, it becomes immediately this this explosive thing. That's how it is with the gospel. That's how it is. We're we're, we're sort of the Mentos in our culture. We have a whole culture of diet coke, and we're the Mentos, and we can come into a situation. And every time it happens, we still go, whoa, wow, that's a bit surprising. <laughs> Why? Why? There's four kind of unexpected, expected results that we're going to look at today when we take the gospel into those areas where it hasn't been. First of all, your goodwill in the name of Christ may backfire. Your goodwill in the name of Christ may backfire. Imagine your Paul, you come to Jerusalem, you're, you're so psyched, you're, you're so pumped. This is, this is literally... I'll talk about this in a bit, but it's like the fulfillment of prophecy. You're bringing this, 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 this offering of the Gentiles. It's like they're streaming up toward Jerusalem, that city center. They know you're expecting great things. Um, you know, this is beyond your wildest dreams. But what, what they want you to do, instead of really making a big deal about all that God has done among the Gentiles, is what they really want you to do is they want you to conform and show that you are a good practicing Jew. Like that's the main thing, Paul. Don't talk about, you know, we heard good, great, we trust God. That's what we're going to do. Now we need you to go and do this thing. Now we need you to take and go and, and conform. It has to be a wet blanket with, with some respect for Paul. And yet Paul's desire is in effect to get along with, with brothers and sisters that are seeing things a little bit coming at it from a different angle. He's willing to 
flock. He's willing to submit himself to that. But then the mentors drop straight into the battle approaches as they go on. And I, and I think uh, I think you'll see that this is not simply a misunderstanding. By the way, quickly, uh, you've already read that. But <laughs> a little backstory first. Recall that Stephen was arrested and tried and killed. And when that happened, it was a combination of, uh, of these diaspora Jews from Asia and places like Cilicia, which was Cilicia, Isabel. That's where Tarsus is, which is where Paul is from. And so Paul is actually bumping into the exact same group of people. Maybe not the same individuals, but it's the same, same group, if you will. So they, 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 they see Paul, they stir up the crowd, they physically grab him. Now, now we say, cry out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who's teaching every, uh, everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. Do you get the irony of this thing? By the way, a lot of people use irony in exactly, and this is ironic. That people ironically use irony in exactly the wrong way. Because irony, there's always a sense in which things go in an unexpected fashion. A lot of people will say, oh, that was ironic. And what they really mean is it was totally fitting. It just was super coincidental that it happened exactly kind of the way you expected it. But irony is the opposite. Irony is the opposite. Paul is here trying his best. To say, hey, look at me, I'm a good practicing Jew, I'm doing everything exactly by the numbers. And it's exactly as he is trying with all the goodwill in the world to get along that that is when they think that he's you know, completely, um, yeah, completely uh, opposed them on this deal. Yeah. They make him out to be a traitor to the Jewish nation, saying that he was against the temple and the law and the people. John, I don't know if you remember this or not, but that sounds exactly like the charges they brought against Stephen. I mean, they're almost identical charges, but coming, again, from kind of the same sort of people. And what happened to Stephen? And who was there when what happened to Stephen happened to Stephen? Who was the guy, the young man, when they came and they took their cloaks and they put it at his feet and they wanted to stone Stephen? This, for Paul, this is deja vu all over again. He, he is seeing something coming together here, and he has to get oh boy. Um, so Paul thought, Paul thought he was obliging everyone. He thought he was bringing an olive branch, but what he was really doing was just dumping a bunch of mentors in the battle plane. <laughs> and, and I think it took him that long. I, did, I think it was, except that he had all this stuff prophesied, so I think that probably, you know, maybe it wasn't as shocking as, 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 it, as it could have been, but yeah, right when he's doing everything he can to get along. Here's a question. Do you think that can happen to Christians today? You think that same principle could happen? We tried so hard. Um, Scott, well, this is my memory, but in, in during the COVID crisis, you remember the Samaritan's Purse built a hospital in New York, the Hickman Ship Hospital? How good are those Christians to answer that? It wasn't really appreciated. No, no, they didn't like that. Do you remember when we were trying to uh, adopt an Afghan family as a church? And it didn't happen. Do you know why it didn't happen? Because the government program that was sending these Afghan families to various groups started to squeeze out the church. They, they squeezed out people like Samaritan's uh, purse and started reducing the numbers down drastically to where they, they didn't have that many families that they were overseeing that they could disperse to places like Great Bend or the family like that. I mean, you could, you could look at probably a lot of children who are going into some kind of NIH. 
sometimes you're dealing with absolutely big. You can't. Look, it's a good instinct to try. I mean, we are in the world without uproar. We do wear the same basic clothing. We shop at the same stores. We eat at the same restaurants. We walk with the same, you know, uh, bottle of wine or whatever it might be. And so, on, on one hand, we're trying to show the world, hey, we're not that much different than you. But we're, but we're the mentos in the world. That's, that's, that's who we are. And we can't completely change that. And even when we try desperately in the schools and elsewhere to just get along, we can be perceived as, as being troublemakers. That's just how it is. Secondly, proclaiming the kingdom may lead to charges of blasphemy. Why did they make Paul brought Gentiles into the temple exactly? Well, they were putting two and two together and being fired. It says, For they had previously previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. So they were making a supposition. They they were they but you know they were looking at each other. They were they were looking at you can just almost imagine them standing around going, Hey, did you see Paul? Oh yeah, I saw that troublemaker. Where was it? Oh, he was in the temple. Yeah, didn't he just get back from uh, from from Asia? Yeah, he had that trunk from the scout with him. Oh, I bet he brought him into the temple. You think he did? Why would he do that? Hey, everybody, why did he bring him into the temple? Hey, Paul brought him into the temple. You're like, well, so, so what? He brought him into the temple. What's the big deal? Well, this was a very big deal to Jewish people at the time, especially. There, there is this, this concept of how things function with the temple that in the innermost sanctuary of the end of the Holy of Holies, which is where God's presence was, was said to dwell between the cherubim, the ark of Covenant, the mercy seat, all that. That was ground zero. That was the holiest of holy places. And the only the high priest, so only once a year, if you go in there, you know the drill. And out from there, you have the holy place. And that was where the priests served. And, and out from there, you had the men, uh, where they could be, and the women, where they really could be. And they could be, 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 and they there, Way out there on the, on the outer range, you have the court of the Gentiles. And they do not transgress. You know, that dividing wall and hostility they call Jesus is a metaphor of that. There was a little balustrade that went around there, and they had, we know this from Josephus, but we also, uh, archaeologists have, have uncovered the stones that have this engraving in that were placed there saying this, and we have this, and this isn't from scripture, but this is. This is Historically, that was written. No foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the temple and enclosure. Anyone who is caught trespassing will bear personal responsibility for his ensuing death. Yeah, that's understated, isn't it? Now, Paul did not actually do anything he's accused of. It was a business charge. Because Paul was not there trying to start a fight. Paul was there actually trying to pacify their he wasn't the kind of person to go in there and throw bombs. He wasn't trying to be the, the, the proverbial mentos. He wasn't trying to explode the old wine skin. It's just, it's just what was, was happening. The day of Debbie and I were on vacation uh, for a week and we went to the great city of Leavenworth, Kansas. Uh, because we are in Kansas, we like all things Kansas. Some of you probably know Kansas better than Kansans at this point are checking things out. We saw the ball of wine a long time ago, so we, we had to go down the list since then. But um, so, so we were there, we were driving around little places close by up to Atchison, and on the way there, 
We actually stopped into a little town called St. Benedict. Yeah. Which, which has a, a church, and guess what the name of that church is? St. Mary's. Yes. I don't know why. I don't know why. It's but it's a beautiful church. And uh, it really is. It's one of the seven one architectural wonders or whatever. So the one you wish. Is it actually the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit? Top 24. Oh, top 24 overall for the, the water system. Okay. Anyway, beautiful, beautiful church, right? I'm taking way too long to say church. But anyway, <laughs> we went in, and uh, you know, I don't know if you know this or not, I'm not Catholic. And uh, I'll let the cat out of the bag on that. Okay. <laughs> so we walk in, and it's very, it's, it's wonderful that they allow the church to be basically built in the middle of the I went inside, and I went in. I'm being very reverent, very discreet. And I walk around just looking at everything and get up to the front and there's like a kind of like a balustrade and it says, please do not enter past here into the sanctuary. And so what do you think I did? <laughs> see? You see, I did. some of you would think I would do that, but no, I'm not that <laughs> I may be a Protestant, but I'm not there trying, you know, I don't go tearing down you know statues and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm there to look at it, and, and I'm so I just, no, okay, I'm not going to go there. And we got out quietly, there's somebody who came in to pray, and we were like, hey! I don't know. That's not what it's about, is it? We're not in there trying to start a fight. Paul is trying desperately not to offend, but they are taking offense at what he's doing. Again, when you bear the name of Christ and you proclaim his kingdom, prepare to be misunderstood and taken. Take it as speaking against uh, whatever people hold dear. Think about the Christians that are in this little country. They, they try to keep their heads low. They, they share Christ where they can, but they don't go out and blow trumpet generally, and they, they don't try to create problems and get routinely with people in a place like Pakistan and you're a Christian. Man, if somebody gets upset with you, you know what they'll do? They'll do exactly what these guys did with Paul. They'll say, hey, by the way, did you hear that uh, so-and-so was speaking? Uh, the prophet Muhammad. Oh yeah, I heard him say something about the prophet Muhammad's mother or whatever. And pretty soon you're being stoned there. And that, and you say, well, that's a different country, that's a different place. Living in America today, there is a religious orthodoxy that that Christians are constantly bumping up against. And and we can try as hard as we might to live at peace with all men and, and not go out and just run our faces into a wall. But you know what? At the end of the day, eventually people go, you know what? You're, you're not saying what we want to hear. You're not being the way we want you to be. And again, um, that makes that people coming back to find them. So, clearly, when they reject you, they will be rejecting the gospel. Check out the first version. Is that what it, is that what it is here? Um, yeah. It says, Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. Once the gates were shut. Do you catch the significance of that? This is a, a this is kind of an ominous statement, and once the gates were shut. Now, on the one hand, there's a very practical reason for that. They were going to kill Paul. I'm convinced their intention was to see this thing all the way through the way they did with Stephen, and their desire is to get Paul outside of the temple. Why? Because human blood would defile the temple. They were perfectly okay with killing Paul, but they did not want to defile the temple. That is kind of 
the order of priority. So they shut the door. It's a little bit like slamming the, the door to the ark and saying, I hope we can swim all. Just do the best you can. Not to impose too much uh, hidden meaning here, but think about the finality of the act. In Luke's account, as we read the book of Acts, the way everything is laid out with this world and so forth, this is it. This is the last time Paul's in the temple. Luke will mention the temple again, but only in flashbacks. The curtain, historically speaking, is being drawn on the whole enterprise of the temple and the priesthood, the ritual, the sacrifice. Of course, in a literal sense, 12, 13 years hence, the Romans are going to come in, Titus, the, the Romans are going to come in, and they're going to level Jerusalem, they're going to level the temple. And they're going to put an end to all of that. But you could say that right here in our text, it feels as though, from a gospel standpoint, that this that the gates being shut are almost like the, you know, the, the gangway to the Titanic being pulled in, and the boat leaving the dock. Is this is it. This, they, they have rejected Paul, absolutely they rejected him, but with him, they're rejecting the whole plan of the kingdom, the, the whole gospel. They've already rejected the Messiah when he came, and now here they are, and I'm coming back to this idea of the prophecy that was being fulfilled in that moment, that Paul is literally part of this screaming, and you get this picture and imagery of the prophet. Of, of the Gentiles being drawn to Jerusalem to, to worship the God of the Jews, to, in, to celebrate and, and, and fall you know, under, under the, the rule of, of the Jewish Messiah. And what are they doing? They're slamming the door. They're slamming the door. They're, they're saying effectively, hey, this temple isn't for you, Gentile. This, this, we don't want you here. We don't want that. We're, we're closing ourselves off to it. Think of the word of the psalmist. This, this is what the heart of God's people was to be toward the gospel. Lift up your head, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors. We're talking about the very same gates and doors that are being shut here. O ancient, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. They should have welcomed the gospel. They should have welcomed the kingdom and, and the kingdom's servants, but they shut the gate. Now that happened historically. That is simply that. To me, this is a fearful example of something that we, that we could experience as Christians even today. No, we're not going to go to the temple. There is no temple in Jerusalem. We can't repeat that. But when you bring the gospel to someone and they reject you, you feel hurt because why? Because like me, you're immature. <laughs> right? We feel rejected. Pastors feel rejected all the time because this or that doesn't work out and sometimes it's their own fault. But you know what? When you're bearing the gospel and people reject you, they're, yeah, they may be rejecting you. Maybe you didn't share it the best way possible. But ultimately, they're slamming the door. They slam the door on you and the gospel. They're slamming the door on Christ Himself. They're, they're, they're shutting themselves off from, from salvation. When you're, when you're talking to people that are your co workers, your family members, your friends, your classmates, whatever it is, and, and, and they just look at you and say, Thank you, no thank you, and they slam the door in your face, they are, in effect, shutting themselves off from salvation. That's a heavy thought. The gates are closing, and you're like, oh, that hurt my feelings. Really? 
It was about obedience to Christ. It was about things that are much weightier than that, and God forbid that they remain in that and pray that that isn't finally reflection of the Lord. Sometimes it is. Last bit of our text today starts uh, the transition of Paul's to his Roman imprisonment, and that's what the rest of the book is going to end in Roman imprisonment, the very end of the book of Acts. I'm sorry to give away any kind of spoiler alert, but it's, that's what's going to happen. This kind of marks that transition. Door shut to the temple. Paul probably thinks he's going to die. And it says, and as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the, of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. They got Jerusalem. There was a fortress, Antonio, that was there. That was the Roman headquarters of Jerusalem. And he's with a great voice to the temple. And he's probably looking out, hears the commotion, sees what's going on. And he and some of the centurions rush by the flow of the crowd. This becomes Paul's deliverance. Suffering hardship for Christ may be the source of God's rescue. That's a quote from Paul. Unexpected possibility here. Suffering hardship for Christ may be the source of God's rescue. So when the tribune arrives, um, and they, they, they stop beating Paul, which tells you why. They had been beating Paul. Right? Because they had to stop being false. That's what Paul, like, I don't know, that guy is wiry or something. He, 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 he's resilient. Apparently, they hadn't gotten too far in the process because he's able to totally speak to the crowd and things all that, but he's just the nick of time. General Pandemonium, the tribute's trying to make sense of what's going on. Can you imagine you're, you, you know, you speak obviously Latin and Greek, and, and probably you're just trying to get by on Hebrew or Aramaic the best you can, and then there's all this shouting, all these and you're trying to make sense of all this. Like, who is this? What's going on? And you know how mobs work. Like, it started out that you had these guys, uh, these, these Asian uh, Jews making the, the, the accusation, but then the crowds developed, right? People are being pulled in. Hey, we're going to kill someone. Woo, I want to be part of that. And they're running in there. Why are we killing this guy? I don't know. And you have different stories are being told. The tribune comes in. All this stuff is just flooding to them. And... Uh, and so, what do you do? If you're the tribune, you think this guy's the troublemaker here. And so they bound him up, they, they bound him in chains. Paul's there thinking, wow, Agabus got this really good. You know, he, he really nailed this to, to the team. Crowd's so violent that the tribune has to literally order them to pick Paul up and sort of crowd surf him up the, up the stairway to the fortress of Antonio to the barracks there. And uh, the crowd is shining for him. He was, it is an explosive. Moment, and that's another state. This, this is the mentos of the God of hope moment. But being arrested by Roman soldiers was probably not on Paul's list of things to do that day, and probably not overall the best thing that could happen to him. And he wants to be arrested, put in chains, threatened to be beaten by the Romans and the Caribbean, and all that, uh, stuck in prison for several years at least before he was promoted. Actually, what did Paul say? This is the providence of God rescuing me. He was probably, at that moment, minutes away from being completely killed. And instead, though he's in prison, it's part of how God rescues his providence. Um, it says, I think, Peter, 2 Peter 2 9, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from the trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. How often in God's providence are his ways of rescuing us in the moment that we experience them 
kind of binding, kind of like being arrested. You know, you, like what we would look at these, these things and call them trials and tribulations being arrested by the world would have been that kind of a thing. And yet, in this case, it's so easy to see, is it not? And, and, and I just imagine that this is really easy to see that this is part of how God does keep all things. You ever see that too? Pretty plain. But in our lives, we don't tend to see that because we don't see everything from that 30,000 uh, foot vantage point. So when we go through suffering, when we go through limitations, how many love limitations? I hate every one of my limitations. I cannot think of one limitation in my life where I go, gee, because I'm so glad and happy for that, for that limit, yeah, that limit on my IQ, that limit on my whatever, you know, you name it, and I look at it and I go, I strain against it. We all do. And maybe you've had an experience, maybe not that long ago, where you've gone through something that just felt utterly, totally binding and limiting to you. Maybe it's a romantic relationship with a young person and you're dating and you thought this person has got it, this woman has got the one, and this all of your hope and dreams come to an offense that goes sideways. And you're a Christian and you go, God, how could you let that happen to me? Why would you? Why would you make me suffer? You don't have any idea of all that God may have rescued you from. You have no clue that, that, that this could have been a very key part in the way in which God preserved your soul and your spirit and your health and your emotional well-being and all kinds of other things. You can't see it in that moment. You have to trust that God is good. For Paul, his rest and imprisonment against the journey to Rome are clear indications that, that God is Rescuing us, for us it's not that clear. We walk by faith. We walk by faith. We have to trust the Lord. We have to um, realize that God uses all manner of, of circumstances in our life. And that indeed it is his providence that God is actually working those things, the scripture says, for our good. We have to take on faith when Jesus says that we are to seek first his kingdom and that all things will be added to us. So in our limitation, we have to be able to go, God's doing something. God's doing and God knows how to rescue you. And uh, and to walk in that Proclaiming Christ's kingdom is volatile. Are we all agreed on that? Being a Christian, being a, being a Mentos in a Diet Coke world is, is just an explosive situation. And I think it's useful to have. You can be kind. You can be winsome, you can try so hard, and I think it's worth trying to not blend with the world, but to at least relate to the world, to be relatable, to try as hard as you may, it can backfire. You proclaim Jesus, you proclaim his name, you label him as a blasphemer, you think they're rejecting you, and in reality, they're rejecting Christ, they're rejecting the gospel. At the end of the day, in the midst of all the suffering in those kinds of situations, and God is working to rescue. All that is kind of wonderfully unpredictable, but it's part of walking by faith. If you don't know Jesus Christ today, we proclaim him to you. We, um, we know that when you do so, that it may come off differently than you want it to. And, uh, all the same, we're going to risk that. We're going to tell you things that you might not want to hear. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you do not have Christ, the scripture says, you do not have God. You do not have life. You need that relationship with the Lord. 
comes through the Lord Jesus Christ who died for sinners. If you turn and put your trust in him, you will find life. Come to him. Come to him. I don't know how many chances you get to slam the door. You saw that in the text there. I will slam the door of the temple. And that draws to the close of the history in the New Testament of the temple. I don't know what happened up there after 15 years later. It's gone. How many chances do you have to slam the door and lock it? I don't know, but I just encourage you today to hear the gospel, believe, trust in it, and receive it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the word. And uh, even in a passage like this, Lord, where, where it's so unique, it's so historical, um, where there's much for us to take from. And I pray that we would. I pray that for instance, that as your, as your people, that we would trust your providence, that we would see the trials and the tribulations around us in that light that, that, that you are at work, um, that we are declaring you, that you stand by us, and that you love us.